as Prime Minister Modi heads to Japan for the G7 outreach and other meetings, how will the world's most developed, most industrialized nations deal with the two big challengers who aren't even in the room, Russia and China? We're going to hear up ahead from Japan's ambassador to India. Also, does U.S. President Joseph Biden's decision to cut short his trip over domestic difficulties send a message that goes beyond just bad optics? Hello and welcome to Worldview at the Hindu with me, Sohasini Heather. Now, normally each week we look at what's already happened in the world, how to analyze it. But given just how much is expected in the week ahead, we wanted to give you a primer on what to look out for, what kind of agreements that you should be reading into. There's a full week of travels for Prime Minister Narendra Modi as he attends the G7 in Japan's Hiroshima. Then he goes to Papua New Guinea's capital, Port Moresby, and then to Sydney in Australia. Now, one of the big surprises this week actually came. So it's really been a day-to-day -day news event came from U.S. President Joseph Biden uh, when he announced right at the last moment all the preparations were ready that he would travel to Japan, but he was pulling out of visits to Papua New Guinea and to Australia as he's needed back in Washington to help break the logjam in the U.S. Congress over passing an increased debt package. He hopes to sign an agreement uh, in the next week. But this means that the Quad Summit in Sydney had to be cancelled, although now a shorter meeting of Quad leaders in Hiroshima is underway, is being organized, really. So here's what President Biden said to start with. Now, what I have done in anticipation that we won't get it all done till I get back is I've cut my trip short uh, in order to be for the final negotiations and sign the deal with, with uh, the majority leader. I made clear that, uh, and I'll say it again, America is not a deadbeat nation. Another possible surprise is that Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky, who was to attend the summit virtually, could now attend in person in Hiroshima. All eyes here will be on whether Prime Minister Modi will meet him there. Now, as I said, while they may not be in the room, Russia and China will be hot topics of discussion. At the G7, Russia's invasion of Ukraine continues to be one of the main issues for the second year now. Uh, while during Quad talks and possibly the Forum for Indo-Pacific Island Cooperation, FIPIC, that's uh, going to be in Papua New Guinea, keeping free and open, uh, free and open sea lanes, uh, dealing with the Chinese challenge in other ways in the region, will also be on the agenda. Uh, just a note in terms of the G7, Russia, remember, was a member of the earlier G8. It was expelled after its annexation of Crimea in 2014. China hasn't actually been invited, even as a special invitee, to the G7, which sees it says as, as the world's uh, most developed, most industrialized economy. Uh, but it does not include uh, one of the world's two big economies, China. So it's really seen as perhaps a slightly out-of-date elitist grouping of the U.S.-led Western alliances. And remember last year, Worldview number 68 had much more the history of the G7 as well. Now, in this interview to the Hindu, Japan's ambassador to India, Hiroshi Suzuki, appeared to make it clear that issues over Russia's invasion of Ukraine will definitely dominate this G7 as well. Listen in. First is the importance of upholding the rule of law. And as we all know, Russian aggression of Ukraine is destroying the core of fundamental principles 
of international society enshrined in the UN Charter, such as sovereignty, territorial integrity, rule of law. So Prime Minister Kishida wants to send a strong message from Hiroshima that unilateral attempts to change the status quo by force must not be allowed anywhere in the world. That is to say, if Russia is allowed to go on without any, paying any price, then other countries may be tempted to do the same. So we stand at a critical juncture to send a clear message that we should never allow the world to slide back to dark ages of law of the jungles. And you can read more of that interview on www.thehindu.com, including uh, how Japan's views India's differing on the subject of Russia. I asked a number of questions on that. Now, broadly, if we are to look at Prime Minister Modi's visit, there are three parts to India's foreign policy that will emerge much in, in much greater detail after this one-week visit. The first is at the multilateral level. Of course, India is a special invitee to the G7 in, uh, summit in Japan. It's one of eight countries that are part of the outreach. I think it's the 13th time India has been invited. The G7 is really made up of US, Canada, UK, France, Germany, Italy, and Japan, as well as the European Union. The special invitees this year are India, South Korea, Australia, Brazil, Vietnam, Indonesia, Comoros that represents the African Union and the Cook Islands that represent the Pacific Islands this year. Uh, Prime Minister Modi will actually attend three outreach sessions. They may seem dry, but all of them will be very pointed on food, health and gender issues. There's another one on climate change and energy. And then there's a third call towards a peaceful, stable and prosperous world. And you can be sure that that particular session is going to see some of the most heated discussions on dealing with geopolitical challenges. In addition, Japan and India have been pushing for an agenda on debt transparency, sustainability, uh, comparability of the treatment of different donors, particularly vis-a-vis -vis Sri Lanka. Uh, they've been uh, trying to push for a better, better loans, better, uh, more assistance in helping Sri Lanka deal with its current economic crisis. Uh, and they hope to bring the principles of what they hope to see in uh, debt sustainability to the G7 as well. Now, India is, of course, hosting the G20 summit this year. So the visit is going to coordinate the G7 and G20 agendas. Prime Minister Modi is expected to articulate his vision for the G20 during this visit. In fact, here's what uh, Foreign Secretary Vinay Quatra said about India's G7 participation. Listen in. India's regular participation at the G7 summits clearly points to increasing recognition that India should be a part of any serious effort to resolve global challenges, including those of peace, security, development and environment preservation. This is even more salient in the context of our ongoing presidency of the G20 and our particular efforts to prioritize the interest and concerns of our fellow country members of the Global South. Now, apart from all of this, nuclear non-proliferation will also be in focus at the G7, given particularly that is being held in Hiroshima, which is, of course, the site where one of two atomic bombs were dropped by the U.S. Air Force in 1945. In that interview he gave me, here's what Japanese Ambassador Suzuki said about this. 
This is very close to Prime Minister Kishida's heart. He is, comes from Hiroshima, his constituency is in Hiroshima. So in Hiroshima, if you visit Peace Museum, you can see firsthand what kind of indescribable ordeals that people in Hiroshima had to go through because of nuclear bomb. So Prime Minister Kishida wants to send a clear message that the human race must continue with ongoing record of 77 years of non-use of nuclear weapons. And this is extremely important in the light of Putin's rhetoric, repeated threats to use nuclear weapons. So these are the three key issues among many challenges that Prime Minister Kishida wants to Okay, so that was the first, that's the multilateral silos. The second is the Indo-Pacific part of India's foreign policy. Now remember, India is one of the few countries now in the region that has not actually put out its own Indo-Pacific policy. There was a statement at Shangri-La in Singapore some years ago the Prime Minister made, but above and beyond that, there's no codified policy. But you'll see some of the strands of it, first in Japan where the Quad uh, informal dialogue or summit will be held. This will discuss Indo-Pacific issues, progress on quad initiatives thus far, on maritime domain awareness, vaccines, which didn't go very well, uh, climate change, digital governance, uh, etc. Prime Minister Kishida, who launched his Indo-Pacific policy actually in Delhi this year, will also discuss that further, particularly plans for Japan-India cooperation in the region, including what Japan wants to do in Northeast India and tying it up with Bangladesh. Then in Port Moresby, Prime Minister will meet with 14 FIPIC leaders. Uh, this is a forum of uh, leaders of the Pacific Islands that was only set up a few years ago. This is its third iteration in so many years. Uh, he's also going to meet the New Zealand Prime Minister, Chris Hipkins. He'll meet uh, the new Prime Minister of, uh, of Fiji as well. Uh, this is very important, uh, Prime Minister Rabuka. And we'll discuss Indo-Pacific concerns, plans for cooperation on issues like climate change that really affect these islands, marine pollution, uh, sustainable aid, trade access, strategic issues, free and open Indo-Pacific, and so forth. And then the third silo of his visit is about the bilateral. In Japan, there will be a meeting with Prime Minister Kishida, but he will also meet a number of the leaders present. And some of them will be for the second time this year, and they'll possibly meet a third time. Japanese Prime Minister Kishida, German Chancellor Scholz, um, Australian Prime Minister Albanese, Italian Prime Minister Maloney, they've all already visited India this year. Uh, in addition to that, Prime Minister Modi is going to be traveling to the US. So he'll meet President Biden in Washington and French President Macron in Paris in the next two or three months. Uh, Brazilian President Lula, he'll meet him again at the BRICS summit in South Africa in August. And then most of these leaders, once again, he will meet at the G20 in Delhi. And as host, he's likely to have the maximum number of uh, bilaterals as well. Now, Prime Minister Modi's visit to Papua New Guinea is a first, and we'll see India announce a package for the Pacific Islands uh, after his meeting with Prime Minister James Marape. PNG, as the country is called, has been facing some turbulent times where Foreign Minister just resigned last week over criticism of the expense on his UK visit, but was there something more? Uh, and then the big cancellation by U.S. President Biden, who was due to announce himself a security agreement with PNG. That was leaked to the press. It caused protests in Parliament, calls for a confidence 
vote as well. So it's been a rocky time and then this cancellation has really changed the picture. Although there will be uh, a signing of that security agreement by the US Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, when he travels there next week. Now, Prime Minister Modi's visit to Australia was meant to be a multilateral one uh, for the Quad in Sydney, but it became a bilateral one with Biden's cancellation. Prime Minister Kishida has also cancelled. So he's going to be the only leader actually traveling there next week. During his visit to Sydney, he will meet with Prime Minister Albanese, and they'll, of course, take forward their conversation on strategic cooperation, a cooperation on critical minerals, education, all of which were discussed in Delhi. In fact, this will be his fifth meeting with Prime Minister Albanese since he became Prime Minister, and that was just a year ago, last May. Uh, there's also likely to be some mention uh, about India's concerns over graffiti on temples and what it sees as perceived uh, attacks on minorities, Khalistan groups uh, that are active there. And Prime Minister Modi had raised this fairly vocally when Prime Minister Albanese was in Delhi as well. And then there'll be an engagement with Australian business leaders. Of course, talks about progress on the economic cooperation and trade agreement, what is called ECTA, um, uh, will be there. And then both prime ministers are going to attend a rally for the Indian diaspora in Sydney's Olympic Park. Remember, it's nine years since Prime Minister Modi last held a diaspora rally there. Um, so that's as far as Prime Minister Modi's visit goes and all the foreign policy implications that you need to watch out for. Uh, but I do want to talk about the implications of President Biden's decision uh, to cut short his visit. It, in a sense, it has cast a long shadow over the region for a number of reasons. One, it shows a bit of domestic insecurity on the part of the US president. The fact that the US president, the most powerful country in the world, as it's known, could not reach out to his Republican opposition to postpone the deal on debt ceilings until his return, it sends a message of not of political strength for sure. It also shows an early shift to domestic uh, uh, agendas ahead of next year's US election. So you'll be seeing perhaps even more of uh, the Biden agenda being diverted inwards. Uh, second, skipping the visit to PNG, the first by any US president, it was to be the first by any US president, it puts a bit of a dampener on US plans to counter China's influence there. In the past year, uh, this had been an objective with the U.S. announcing new embassies in the Solomon Islands, in Kiribati, in Vanuatu. Uh, the U.S. security agreement with PNG is mainly for Coast Guard support. Of course, as I said, it will now be signed by Secretary of State Antony Blinken. Uh, this would also have been an occasion to reassure all the countries of the region, including New Zealand, about AUKUS, remember the plan for uh, submarines to be leased by the US and UK to Australia uh, and then build more submarines in Australia. This deal had seen many of the countries of the region voicing concerns about a weaponization of these waters. Uh, so this would have been a good uh, occasion to assure them all. It also looks like a bit of deprioritizing of the Quad after all of this. The fact that the US president decided to go for the G7 and not the Quad Understandably, um, because the G7 is on the weekend, the quad is in the week, but it does send out some kind of a message on what's the importance and what are the priorities. And it may even be seen as prioritizing the Russia challenge to the world, which will be discussed at the G7, over the China challenge that is in focus normally at the quad and will be at the Pacific Island engagements as well. Uh, finally, the decision to cancel comes out in stark comparison to how other countries of the Quad have behaved. Remember, Australian Prime Minister Albanese attended the Quad summit in Tokyo last year, just a few hours after he was sworn in. 
uh, Japan's foreign minister took special permission from his parliament to attend uh, the Quad foreign ministers meeting in Delhi in March. Remember, there was a budget session there. Traveling overnight both ways for just that one meeting. So what's worldviews take? Clearly, U.S. President Biden's loss in terms of the canceled visits to PNG, Papua New Guinea and Australia will be Prime Minister Modi's gain and could be used to deepen both bilateral ties with the two countries and the region at much greater length. For India, the visits ahead are an opportunity for substantive discussions on issues like regional security, food and energy security, climate change and global warming. While there are vast areas of agreement and overlap, India's divergent stand on Russia is going to take some of the spotlight as well. All eyes will be on how India decides on the various joint statements that are to be issued there. Let's get you some worldview reading recommendations now, and I'm going to try and get you some books written in the region itself. The first is Indo-Pacific Empire, China, America, and the Contest for the World's Pivotal Region, as it was called. Uh, this is by Rory Medcalf, a very good read from a couple of years ago. Uh, then this book of essays, Asia's New Geopolitics, Essays on Reshaping the Indo-Pacific uh, by Michael Oslin. Uh, there's a great essay in there on the US-China literal wars of the future. Uh, very, very interesting reading, a kind of futuristic look at that. There is one essay on India in there. You may not find it very pertinent uh, to the subject, but it is about India's missing women, an important part uh, of India's economy story, but perhaps not in this uh, book. The Routledge Handbook of U.S. Foreign Policy in the Indo-Pacific. This is a whopping 33 essays. Everything you want to know about the U.S.'s policy there, every aspect from security to artificial intelligence. Uh, then this book, which I do bring out every time we're talking about the G7 or the G20 or any of the other G uh, groupings, Every Nation for Itself, Winners and Losers in a G0 World by Ian Bremmer. Uh, this is, of course, how each nation is looking for itself, really. Uh, then a few books by diplomats for you. One is Choices, Inside the Making of India's Foreign Policy by Shiv Shankar Menon, former NSA. I don't talk about this book enough, I think, uh, but it really tells you a lot about the underpinnings of what made India's foreign policy and the big shifts that we saw in the past decade. In fact, beyond the past decade, from about 2008 till now, so about the last 15 years. Uh, then there's India's World, another very interesting book, How Prime Ministers Shaped Foreign Policy. This is by Ambassador Rajiv Dogra. Uh, and while I don't endorse this next author's views, particularly his views on US hegemony on the world, and of course his practice of foreign policy in the Nixon era and the formulation of uh, uh, the policy towards India, but these two more recent books by Henry Kissinger are important reading. It's called Leadership, Six Studies in World Strategy by uh, Dr. Henry Kissinger, as well as World Order, Reflections on the Character of Nations and the Course of History. Uh, these both have a very broad look at the world, in fact, a very inclusive, globalized look uh, at the world and what we can learn from each part of it. So we do hope you enjoy reading all of these and do join us again on Worldview. If you're watching us on YouTube, we'd ask that you would click on the subscribe button uh, and do write in to us as well. We do see all your comments and we really do enjoy them and we try to engage with them. So join us again on Worldview from the team. Thanks for watching.